CFL fans, are you ready? Because it's time for the Canadian Football Countdown on Mike FM Winnipeg. Canadian Football Countdown starts now! Hello, hello, and welcome to the Canadian Football Countdown. As always, I'm Ryan Cooper alongside Michael Garrell. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2018, and we are here for the first time in 2018 to talk CFL football. Good afternoon, Mike. Good afternoon, Ryan. Happy New Year to you and all our listeners. For sure. Uh, a very exciting new year to come. Hopefully last year was pretty great in the CFL and here on the podcast and a lot of exciting things to come in 2018. And Mike, now that it's January, by my count, we're only five months away from CFL football again. Yep. Very exciting. Very exciting. The season started or preseason starting in May this year. Uh, there's a lot uh, a lot to look forward to in the CFL. Of course, we're getting closer to free agency. Uh, just about a month away at this point from CFL free agency, free agency being around the corner. So a lots I think, we'll see happening in the next couple of weeks in the CFL in terms of personnel decisions. Um, and obviously, a lot has happened already since we last spoke, which was before the holidays. Uh Let's start, I guess, with the news that came out today. Might be one of the biggest pieces of news to talk about. Zach Caleros traded from the Hamilton Tiger Cats to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for the 10th overall pick in the 2018 draft. What do you make of this trade, Mike? Uh, I like it from the standpoint that uh, Saskatchewan finally gets their proven quarterback. I think it finally says what we've been inevitably thinking about Hamilton for a while, and that is the fact that either one of uh, Talaros or Jeremiah Mazzoli, who's yet to be under contract, at least for right now, with Hamilton. Although there are reports uh, yeah. that uh, contracts are being finalized for both Mazzoli and Banks right now. So, Yeah, so... You know, it kind of spoke to the fact that um, one of them had to be moved. I, I don't know if it came as a terrible surprise which one was going to be moved. Um, I just questioned the value that Hamilton got back uh, in return for Talaros. Specifically now with the reports, Ryan, that Zach Talaros is going to restructure his deal uh, with Saskatchewan. At least they're going to attempt to restructure his deal and make it a longer-term contract. So if that happens for me, I'm just wondering the value of only the 10th overall pick. Yeah, and I think it was no question in either of our minds that Zach Caleros was going to be moved out of Hamilton, just the way things ended up last season. June Jones loves Jeremiah Mazzoli. Zach Caleros really didn't fit into his scheme, I don't think, there. Um, interesting that you mentioned that, though. So Zach Caleros is technically under contract for next year, correct? Yeah, and they can... Uh... They can also uh, restructure his deal, which also, as I pointed out to you this morning, 
Zach Talaros may not want to restructure a deal, uh, at which time he's due a $200,000 bonus, uh, I think February 1st. And if they don't pay for, you know, if they don't want to pay his bonus, then, well, he watched. So there is some risk involved, but I don't, just based on what I'm reading and what I'm hearing out of Saskatchewan, uh, they intend to have Zach Talaros under a new contract, so I don't think that you know the, the latter will become an option. Now, we all knew this trade was coming at some point uh, in terms of the Ticats side, but I don't know if we really thought of Saskatchewan as the location we'd see him going to. Does this deal make sense for the Riders? It made sense. Um you know, obviously the deal does not make sense right now, given the financial, uh, given the financial aspect of, uh, you know, the whatever amount he ends up making. I heard it could be slightly off on this, but he was one of the highest paid quarterbacks in the CFL, if not the highest paid quarterback uh, in the CFL. So the optics of it financially don't make sense right now, but. I think if they're able to restructure his deal, I I don't think that, you know, it's a given that Talaros will be the number one. I think it's still going to be an open competition. And if I'm Brandon Bridge, which is something that I wanted to talk about too, you know, how you feel if you're Brandon Bridge about this, I don't think anything changes as far as Saskatchewan. I think there always was going to be a competition for the starting quarterback job, and I, I still think that is the case today. I, I personally, I like this deal for Saskatchewan, especially if they're able to restructure a contract with him. Um, because, you know, don't read, I wouldn't read too much into what we saw last year from Zach Galeros. This is still a high quality quarterback in the CFL. Mm-hmm. He's still a young guy. I think he can definitely return to, I mean, go back a couple of years ago, he was the top quarterback in the CFL. Many were heralding him as you know, the next greatest quarterback in the CFL. And he definitely proved that at some point. Took a step back last year and the year before, largely due to the injuries. Um, but I think he could very well be a guy that can return to that high caliber of play. Uh, and to give up the 10th overall pick for, uh, in turn for that, you know, I, I think it's a good deal for Saskatchewan. Uh, they've got a great one, two, three punch right now. Caleros, Bridge, and even Vernon Adams Jr. is number three. Um, I, don't, forget about, don't forget about the guy that they all, everybody thought they were high at him, Marquise Jackson. Uh, Marquise Wilson. Oh, or Marquise Williams. Williams. Right. Williams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Jackson's so, a returner in Toronto. I too many too many names to remember. Uh, um, but yeah, I I think I think they're set up with this trade, both short term and long term, at quarterback in Saskatchewan. If you know, depending how things play out. You mentioned Brandon Bridge. He gets a one-year contract extension from the Riders, so he's under contract for 2018. Remains to be seen what happens with 2019 for him, but you've got two young guys in Bridge and Vernon Adams Jr. that have great potential for the future. You have Caleros, which, you know, has had some time in the league uh, and definitely can get back to a high-quality quarterback. I, I think it's great for Saskatchewan. They have a lot of depth at the quarterback position. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's the most important position on on the football field. And I I think, 
you know, I don't want to say the quarterback position is the only thing holding back the Riders last year from really taking off, but I think they definitely solidified something that I thought was a sore spot, especially late in the season. Yeah, and I, I think this deal to an extent, I mean, the Ticats, let's let's face it, uh, Coeros wasn't going to be back next year in Hamilton. The writing was on the wall for a while or out now already. With Mazzoli, the talk of, you know, will we see uh, Johnny Football, Johnny Manziel in Hamilton in 2018? Uh, he has been allowed by the CFL to play in the CFL this year, his window of signing with the Ticats, I believe he has a couple days left to do so. So we'll, we'll remain, it will remain to be seen what happens with him. But I, I just think, you know, a fresh start is what Coleros needed. And I think he's going to have an excellent opportunity to do so in Saskatchewan. He has a lot of weapons on offense to play around with. Yeah. And I, and I, and I, I think, um, you know the the thing to be um, just to make clear, um, the Titans only have to send an offer to Johnny Manziel. He doesn't have to take it. They just have to send an offer to retain his rights for another year. Right. So he may or may not sign. My hunch, and what I've heard from the people in Hamilton, is I would be rather floored if he's not in Hamilton come training camp. Yeah. And just kind of on that topic, you know, there's a large debate. Will he play in 20 or will he sign with the Ticats? Will we see him on the field? Will will he shine? What what are the expectations for him this year? I don't think we're going to see Johnny Manziel come out and, you know, take the league by storm this year at all. I think he's definitely a player that has potential if, you know, if he's smart about the way he approaches his uh, his time here in the CFL. Uh, should he come this way? I, I would see it more so a situation this year where you have Jeremiah Mazzoli as your number one. You bring Manzil in. You know, you, you, you try to work with him this year, and then maybe we see him out on the field more next year. But I don't see him in more of, than a backup role if he comes to the Ticats in 2018. No, I don't want to compare him to him to Vince Young and Saskatchewan, but these, these NFL quote-unquote, for lack of better term, recycled NFL players haven't exactly taken the CFL by storm, and I don't think this is any different. No, no, and and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, right? Uh, and and it, I think it has a lot to do with how the team approaches it and how the player approaches it because sometimes you get the mentality of, I'm going to the CFL only to work my way back to the NFL, right? That That's what a lot of players try to do. Um, but I think, you know, you have to realize, okay, I'm in the CFL. This is what I'm going to do to make myself worthwhile to my team while I'm here as well. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, for Johnny Manziel, our goal is to come in and kind of reshape his brand. This is assuming he signs, right? Everybody has these uh, preconceived notions about Johnny football. I watched Johnny football. In, in fact, you know, I, I will come out and say this. I was a big fan of Johnny football when he played, um, you know, college football, uh, for sure. With um, <clears throat> Sorry, with Texas A&M. Uh, but you know what? I'm, I'm all for second chances, and I hope for Johnny football's sake that he can you know, made something work in the CFL and eventually finds his way back into the NFL. I'd want nothing more for that day. But, you know, just getting back to what I was going to say was, you know, he had the chance to 
to reshape his image and, and draft some stereotypes that are out there about Johnny Mandel for sure. That's a great way to put it. Uh, getting back to the riders here, uh, again, we continue our uh, off-season outlook series uh, this week with we're going to be talking about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders uh, in kind of the second half of this show. More so what uh, the plan going forward is and how the season end up going for the riders. Uh, they made a lot of moves in the last couple of weeks, Mike. Not only uh, acquiring Zach Caleros today, uh, they added four nationals, including Mitchell Pickton, uh, kind of earlier before the holidays. Uh, we mentioned Brandon Bridge gets the one-year contract extension. Uh, and then Javon Johnson and Thaddeus Coleman both uh, given extensions on the same day. These are two key pieces for the riders that I think it's excellent to see coming back. Thaddeus Coleman was their uh, offensive lineman of the year in 2017. Uh, and Javon Johnson has really done an incredible job. He's one of my favorite players in the CFL still to this day. Yeah, and you know what? You need those older veteran leaders. And I thought, you know, it's no accident, Ryan, but, you know, the rider deep and kind of turned the corner uh, as soon as Javon Johnson uh, entered the picture about early in the season. I, I believe he came a couple weeks into the season, and, and there's no surprise that he kind of came in and stabilized things. Uh, and then not only that, uh, explosive kicker Turner Christian Jones extended through 2019 as well as defensive back Chris on Butler. Uh, both were still under contract for next year already for 2018. I guess that's this year at this point. Um, but given an, an extra year there already, to me this shows that the riders believe in what they're building uh, in Saskatchewan right now by the fact that, you know, the, they're extending some of these guys before their contracts even run up in the sense that these are guys they want to build the team around. And I, I, I think that's a good thing for the riders because I think they have good things building there. For sure, for sure. So moving on from the riders a bit here because we had a lot of news uh, over the last two weeks. Uh, big focus of uh, the last podcast we did right before Christmas uh, was the Montreal Alouettes. Uh, we talked with Cliffy D of the Alouettes Flight Deck podcast a lot about the Montreal coaching situation because that was the big question up in the air. Uh, kind of, you know, everything else for the Alouettes kind of was blocked by who was going to be the new coach. Uh, and, and just uh, shortly after that, right before the holidays, they named Mike Sherman as the new head coach. Uh, former NFL coach, I believe, correct, Mike? You can probably speak a little bit more about what he brings to the Alouettes. Yeah, and NFL experience, uh, head coach and general manager, former head coach and general manager of the Green Bay Packers. Right. Um, is this a good addition as head coach for the Alouettes? Do you like this decision, um, or do you not like it? Uh, I I didn't necessarily like it on the first couple of days, um, but after reading it and getting some opinions and and looking at it, I think it's a it's a great hire for Tavis Reed. I mean, you know, we were, we were giving them flat about you know you gotta find a coach and you gotta do this and you gotta do that and you know this is as good a hire in my opinion as you could have had for. Uh, the Montreal Alouettes, and, you know, just to have another high-profile coach, uh, you know, that's kind of like the June Jones kind of style, and, you know, he likes a lot of West Coast uh, rush, 
run and shoot. I think it's called uh, the offense that uh, Sherman likes to run. And, you know, my, my big thing along with, and I say this with every, uh, with every American uh, coach that comes in, you know, you're only as good as uh, the rest of your coaching staff that you surround yourself with. So I'm hoping and I'm trusting that uh, Sherman will surround himself with some uh, good CFL coaches with uh, CFL knowledge. Well, and, and you also have to take into consideration, you know, some of the guys the Alouettes tried to go out and get and either, uh, you know, either guys that maybe they passed up on because they didn't feel like it was a great fit or uh, guys that just said no, Frank, frankly, just said no to the Alouettes that, you know, given that we had explored already, okay, really all of his CFL options are, are gone for Kavis Reed. And we were even talking, you and I, last time uh, in the last podcast uh, of 2017 that we did about, you know, will we see Kavis Reed himself back on the bench for 2018? I, I, I think this is a really a great hire given the circumstances. The Alouettes were kind of under. Um, mm-hmm. you, you, you mentioned already kind of tying it into June Jones. Perhaps, you know, he saw the success that June Jones had. No prior CFL experience. Um, U.S. coach, uh, a lot of experience down south. Uh, I think it's a great hire for the Alouettes, and I'm interested to see what Sherman does with this team. Yeah, and I, and I think for me, he, for him, I think he inherits pretty much a clean slate, you know, with, you know, they need to go out and they need to find themselves a quarterback. And I, I think it's a pretty much an ideal situation for, for Mike Sherman. Yeah, uh, that was my next question for you. The quarterback situation, we talked about how Slack Caleros was, seemed like the greatest fit for the Alouettes, but now, uh, well, now he's off to Saskatchewan. Where do you think we're at with the quarterback search in Montreal? I don't know. I, I have a sneaky suspicion that it might be uh, June Jones. I mean, uh, sorry, not June Jones, but uh, James Franklin. James Franklin? You think he's not going to sign in Toronto? I don't know. I mean, if he doesn't sign, it's like he has to. He has only limited options, right? To to me, James Franklin. To and, and this might not be the case because I mean, money is a huge factor. But to me, like just based on opinion and no facts supporting this, because you know we're we can do that. Um, mm-hmm. James Franklin is should be a done deal in Toronto. Uh, in terms of locked up because I think it's a great fit for him and I think it's a great fit for Toronto if they can get the money working out there between those two sides I I don't see why he would not stay in Toronto because it's just a perfect fit for both sides yeah and I think uh, I I think you know Montreal's kind of slow to the boat here you know you, you hired the last possible coach now you have this Polaros news, and it goes back to what I said, I think, a couple of shows that know even the last show. Like, there's only a lot of quarterbacks, not necessarily a lot of chairs, and the music is slowly starting to come to a stop. Favorite analogy, I love it. Um, Interested to see what transpires here with the Alouettes now that they kind of have that first building block with Mike Sherman as the new head coach. 
and hopefully we'll see them kind of kind of gain a little structure or see a bit of a plan coming forth from this team going forward as they get ready for free agency, which can again I, comes next I, one. Can I quickly float out a suggestion? Sure. How far out to lunch is Johnny Mandel to Montreal? I, it's possible. And here, here's why, and I don't know, Ryan, if you're familiar with the history at all. Uh, Mike Sherman used to be at Texas A&M. He, he was the coach that uh, recruited Mike, uh, recruited sorry Johnny Manziel uh, to Texas A&M. He wasn't the coach at the time. He got relieved of his duties uh, prior to Johnny Manziel's first year at Texas A&M. So there's that connection there. Also, from a Hamilton standpoint, you know, would you take two draft pits from, say, Hamilton? From would Hamilton take two draft pits from Montreal? You know, for the rights to Johnny Manziel, assuming that they're comfortable with Jeremiah Mazzoli, which I'm assuming, by all accounts, they would be. Would you not want to trading them for draft pits to up? Upgrade your Canadian content. My question for you then in that case, Mike, is what happens if uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli gets hurt? You just shipped out Zach Caleros. Who do you have as backup in Hamilton? You have a guy that all you need to do is extend an offer to him in Manziel in Hamilton. uh, And uh, assuming he would accept it, obviously, you know, you have, I think, a decent backup there. Again, we've talked about time and time again, not too many quarterbacks left out on the market in a league right now where, you know, it's important to have that kind of 1A, 1B option. Right. But I don't know, Ryan, if, 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 and I say this from Montreal's standpoint too, whoever winds up getting Johnny Manziel, if he signs, I'm not too sure he's even a backup at at this point in this first year. I I think you're looking more at Manziel as a third-string guy and then he kind of works his way up. Right. So I don't even think that that's an issue with, you know, who the backup is. I mean, they got some proven guys, you know, in the past that are like better free agents. You know, there's options out there that are kind of backup quarterbacks, if you will. And there's always, you know, the American scouting system too, which uh, which seems to be, you know, produce some pretty, you know, decent backups. Not necessarily proven backups, I say. I say decent, but I mean, I'm just saying, you know, you have to look at every option. If, you know, Johnny Manziel is so sought after, wouldn't you look at maybe trading him for a pair of pits? Yeah, that that's a good point. Uh, moving on, the BC Lions might continue what I've what I consider an impressive off season so far for them. Uh, really, in terms of their coaching staff, I think they've shored things up. Uh, they have a really strong coaching staff coming into next year. Mark Washington brought back his defensive coordinator. I like that move for the Lions. I thought their defense uh, was pretty good at times last year. I think just some offensive struggles was kind of what held the Lions back. Um, and Jeff Reinbold brought in his special teams coordinator. This is a move I really like because I, I feel like he does a great job if he's just given the role of special teams coordinator. Yeah, and I, I, I believe that uh, Rainbow was given a, a really raw deal uh, in Hamilton. I think BC got themselves one head of a coach. 
Well, and, and if I'm correct, the way things ended in Hamilton, he was the defensive coordinator and special teams coordinator at in the end of his time in Hamilton, correct? Yeah, yeah, he was then. Yeah, so proven to be a great special teams coordinator. They tried to get him going on defense as well. That didn't seem to work out for Hamilton. Um, I, I, I like him, though. He, he brings uh, interesting dynamics to the special teams game, and he's proven to be an effective uh, coordinator in that category. The the one thing I will say though, if you're Jeff Rainbow, I don't believe that the defensive, uh, the way things ended up with the defense were necessarily uh, were necessarily his fault. You know, he wanted to try to expand his skill set to see if, to see if he could broaden his horizon. This is my guess, and why don't you see if you can handle extra responsibility? Take a step up and do the defense as well. It's it's not for everybody, and I think Jeff Rainbow figured that out, and now he's content being a special teams coach. He figured out that, you know, maybe coaching the defense was a little bit too much, or maybe he didn't have the background, or for whatever reason. But, you know, I don't really want—I don't really blame him for wanting to try his hand at being a defensive coordinator. He finds out it's not for himself. He just sticks to special teams. He's got a job. He's very well respected in the CFL especially here in Winnipeg, by, you know, certain individuals and around the CFL. And I really believe that, you know, he had to kind of broaden his horizon to see if it was something that could be a fit, and it wasn't. So he goes back to something he's comfortable with. There's a learning experience in every job that you take, right? I really like the way you put that because, uh, yeah, in general, I agree actually exactly with what you said there. Uh, and very happy to have Jeff Reinbold back in the CFL. Great guy, respected around the league, and very excited to see him back this time with the BC Lions as special teams coordinator. Uh, over the holidays, Mike, uh, our hometown Winnipeg Blue Bombers making a couple moves. Uh, biggest one, Weston Dressler brought back on a one-year contract extension. I love it. You know what? People thought Weston Dressler maybe lost a step, but I'll tell you what, you don't underestimate don't underestimate this guy's knowledge, this guy's experience, and what he brings to the huddle in every game that he plays, even though it's not necessarily 18 games. Yeah, the the injury history is only the only question mark for me in terms of Western Wrestler. When he's out on the field, the guy can play, no doubt about that. He's got mm-hmm. the speed, he's got the grit, he's proven all of that, he's got the incredible hand. Uh, I'm excited to see Wes and Dressler back for another year in a bomber uniform, just hoping he can stay healthy this time. Uh, I, I think he adds an explosive element to that bomber's offense. You know, he adds another option on setting down, right? I mean, how many times, but I, I can't recall very often a, a large number of drop passes by Wes and Dressler in the past, even with Saskatchewan. So his ability, he to me is one of the better setting down uh, receivers in the CFL went healthy. And, and the Bombers obviously kind of liked his work ethic. And I don't know if you read uh, a blog by Bomber uh, communication director Darren Cameron. Uh, Weston Dressler actually caught that touchdown in, in the Toronto game with a broken hand. Yeah, that's insane. So, you know, that, that just speaks volumes about the guy and why... Guys like him don't come around very often, so I think anything you can get out of Weston Dressler, and we hope it's 18 games, is beneficial to a Blue Bomber team, which, you know, is very veteran, 
You see the veteran that every team wants to have. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. Um, Bombers officially extend offensive lineman Manessi Fichetti. Uh, this is something we talked about weeks ago already because it was basically yep. reported as done deal, but now the team officially announces it. Um, really not much change on the offensive line for the Bombers. Looks like it is coming into next year when there were questions what was going to happen because they had so many free agents. Basically, everyone brought back at this point. The one notable exception, Travis Bond, still doesn't have a contract for next year. Interested to see whether he returns. I think... I still think there's a shot he does. I know you think yeah. there's. it's likely that Travis Bond moves on, possibly takes a look at the NFL, I think we've talked about. Um, but overall, pretty consistent on the offensive line from 2017 to 2018 for the Bombers. Uh, you, they've got Matt Nichols at quarterback again, Andrew Harris at running back. Uh, they bring back Weston Dressler. Paul Apolis is still offensive coordinator. I like to see I like seeing the consistency the Bombers have here with their offense because it was really one of the best in the CFL in 2017. Uh, and why fix something that wasn't broken? If it ain't broken, don't fix it. Or if it, whatever the saying is, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah. Or if it ain't broke, don't change it. Right. Right. And I I, I just to me now all the questions, Ryan are on defense. Right. What do we do with this defense? And obviously they re-signed uh, one of their defensive guys uh, in the last two weeks uh, since we've uh, had a show. But, you know, other than that, it's kind of been like, you know, what's happening with Richie Hall? The longer this goes, uh, the longer this goes, the more it makes me wonder, but uh, the more it makes me think that Richie Hall will be back. And I wonder if Michael Shade just takes the bigger piece of the defense, uh, defensive responsibility. The head-scratching signing that I have in the last two weeks is uh, Drake Navis. I mean, he was brought in as a free agent, I think, last year and, yeah. you know, didn't really have a very big season. He was, you know, bigger more toward the end of the season, but, you know, was rather quiet in the first three quarters of the season. And, I don't know. That, to me, just makes me scratch my head a little bit. Is it more so we maybe didn't notice the impact he was making on the defensive line, but the Bombers see something in him? Or do you think this extension is maybe not based on what we saw from him in a Bombers uniform last year, but what the Bombers saw from him when he was in a Ticats uniform the year before? Uh, kind of a hope that he gets back to that high level of play he was able to achieve with the Ticats. You know, it's interesting. I, I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head, not something that I didn't really think about. But now that you said it kind of made sense. I mean, you know, we saw Drake Nevis and Hamilton, a very successful player. And my guess is that the Bombers are maybe thinking it was a down year for Drake, but he gets somewhat back to what he had two years ago. Just if I may use the hockey analogy with the Winnipeg Jets, you know, they kind of did the same thing with Dimitri Kulikov. They saw what he did in Florida a couple of years ago. was a really good defenseman. Had a down year last year with the Buffalo Sabres, and now he seems to be somewhere in between uh, where he was in Florida and where he was in Buffalo. So that's really good for the Jets. And I'm wondering, you know, if, he, if we can get him somewhere with what he did in Hamilton versus a little bit of what he did at the end of last year in Winnipeg then I think the Bombers will be fine. 
And I'm glad that, you know, this is the management team that doesn't make, you know, snap reactions, right? It would have been easy to say, oh, Drake, you did nothing, you know, for the better part of three quarters of the season last year. You know, we're not going to offer you a contract. I'm glad that management has kind of said, I'm glad that this management group for the Bombers had the big picture in mind with, with Drake Nevis, and I hope they do that too with other free agents because I think it's a really good mindset to have. Yeah, and I, I think the Bombers aren't far off, I think it's safe to say. Um, you know, a cup, uh, some tinkering with that defense, maybe it's the scheme, maybe it's some of the personnel on there. We talked about when we talked about the Bombers, maybe, you know, a couple additions at wide receiver for them. Um, but I don't think the Bombers are far off, so I don't think it's a bad thing to see them, you know, trying to develop this consistency and bringing the guys back that we had here last year. Um like I said, because I, I don't think they're far off. I think they're missing a couple pieces, maybe, you know, some some changes to the scheme on defense, uh, and, and they're right there. You know, and, and it's interesting because there were a couple of games in there, Ryan, where the Bombers won, and I'm thinking the BC games in particular here, you know, where they had to play that kind of locked it down, low-scoring game. You know, if we can get some form of that on defense, I think we'll be fine. But, you know, we lost Darwin Adams for the better part of the last half of the year, and that really killed the receiving core, like you said. So so I'm just wondering, you know, how far off are the Bombers if they can just tweet a few things, right? And, you know, I don't think a 12-6 and six season is – any reason to blow things up, and I'm glad they're not. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. At 12-6 on any given year, there was a bunch of teams that were lower than the Blue Bombers. They had the third-best record in the CFL, if memory serves correct. There was, you know, there was six other teams that would kill to have the record that the Blue Bombers had, and it was just unfortunate that they played a 12-6 and six Edmonton team and had a bunch of breakdowns. So I think any other year... 12 and 6 would have gotten the Bombers a much more easier matchup when it comes to the Eastern semi or the Western semifinal. It's, it's just the staffness of the Western division with the teams that are in that division is what ultimately kind of cast the Blue Bombers season as far as, you know, some weaknesses that they had. If they can address that, by all means, I'm fine with keeping things the same. Just to round out the uh, CFL news and transactions from the past two weeks, uh, the Calgary Stampeders signed two guys to extensions, offensive lineman Randy Richards, defensive back Brandon Smith. Um, both good deals, I think, to me. These are guys that, you know, contributed for the Stampeders. Uh, I have Didn't no problem. They also, I think they also signed Lamar Durant, too. I think we might have talked about that last time already, but uh, definitely, yeah. I, I know he was brought back. I think that was a great signing for them. I, I think you and I had talked about at one point. Um, there were rumors based on something he had said on Twitter that uh, maybe perhaps he was exploring free agency, um, which I would have loved to see him come to Winnipeg if he did go to free agency, but a great signing for the Stampeders. Uh, yeah, he missed most of last year with injuries. So. Yeah. Uh, and then just to round it out, the Toronto Argonauts uh, extending fullback Declan Cross through 2020. I like this signing for the Argos. I thought he added an interesting dynamic to 
their offense in 2017. I, I, I think, you know, the fullback position is an interesting one because some teams use it, some teams kind of neglect it. Uh, and he really, you know, he contributed a decent amount to that Toronto offense. Especially in the Grey Cup, I believe he was the one that got, caught the two-point convert for Richie Ray. That very well could be the case. I do not remember off the top of my head, but that does sound familiar. Yeah, he caught the two-point convert to try the football game. Well then, all right. And yeah. that's, why, that's why the name sounds so familiar. I had to look it up, so. Right. Um, that does it for uh, news uh, and transactions from the past two weeks. Uh, nothing coming out of Edmonton, nothing coming out of Ottawa. Uh, they were kind of active before then, but uh, the last couple of weeks. So it looks like those two teams were just enjoying the holidays, Mike. And that way, please, so I mean, there was not a lot. I'm surprised, to be honest with you, the amount of news that we've had to this point. Uh, and this, you know, usually the CFL hits a dead wall after the Grey Cup. And, you know, Randy Ambrosi wasn't kidding when he said the day after the Grey Cup, he said, we go back to work. Yeah, yeah, and it helps us uh, keep busy and helps give us things to talk about here on the podcast. So, uh, CFL, keep it coming. For sure. Getting into our off-season outlook, uh, episode number three, part three of the series, Mike. We've talked about the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. We've talked about the Montreal Alouettes. Today, we talk about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Um Take, going back to 2017, let's start uh, revisiting. What were your expectations for the team coming into the year? You know, I wanted Saskatchewan to take a step forward. They had, as you recall, two years ago, I don't know if you remember this, but they brought in all kinds of people. I think they set a CFL record uh, for most players in and out of every game, and the roster turnover was just, you know, ridiculous from game to game two years ago. And then you had, like, additional rosters, like a pre-practice roster, and... Oh, all joking aside, of course, I'm glad they finally found some people that, you know, they're comfortable with, and, you know, I didn't, I wasn't particularly fond of the Rough Riders, you know, in the first, you know, six to eight weeks, but there was a, a real turning point, uh... Shortly before Labor Day, about middle of the summer, I want to say, the Riders started making, you know, they started losing games, Ryan, very early in the season that they could have won. Opening day against the Bombers. You know, they were in every game. They weren't, <clears throat> sorry, they weren't necessarily uh, uh, winning those games early on, but they were learning. They got better, and, you know, they won those games in the second half of the year that they they maybe would have lost in the first half. Yeah, and really early on in the season, you know, they lost their first two games to Montreal and Winnipeg by missed field goals. And I think they won the third one over the Ticats. I think they played their third game. Uh, so they very well could have gone 3-0 and to start the season. You know, we didn't really know what we were seeing from the Riders early on in the season. I think if I recall, you know, you were kind of, you were not sure what, uh, you weren't sold on them early on in the season, but I, I remember looking at it saying, look, those first couple of games, you miss those field goals, or you make those field goals, this is a 3-0 and team. I, I had hope for the Riders that they would turn things around yeah. uh, in the second half of the season, and it really all kind of turned around, and it's interesting that this is also when BC's season turned around for the worse. It really turned around in that 
home-and-home series. They played with BC back in, I want to say in August, early August. I could be wrong on the date that. I think it was about week six, week seven. Yeah, but at BC, remember, they came out five and two. They swapped an Eastern three-game road trip. Yeah, so BC comes in five and two. And in that first game between these two teams, I mean, that was all BC. That, that... I was I remember listening to that game on Riders Radio and there was just nothing going right for the Riders. Uh, it was 30 to nothing I think at one point. And then if you remember Brandon Bridge comes in in the last couple minutes uh of the game and throws two straight touchdowns in the fourth quarter and uh they lose I think it was 30 to 14. I don't have the score in front of me, but and then coming into the next week, we we I remember us talking about, okay, that was, you know, barring those two touchdowns from the Riders, that was really a game that, you know, BC dominated. Saskatchewan needs to get things together and learn from that game, and BC needs to not go into the week after feeling all high and mighty. Mm-hmm. And then Saskatchewan, and this is the moment the season turned around. Saskatchewan comes, I think it was at home, right? BC comes into Saskatchewan. And Saskatchewan just hands it to the BC Lions. And that was the game where Ed Ganey had four interceptions, I believe, and five turnovers. And that really set the pace for the rest of the season for the Riders, where you had this uh, ball-hawking defense forcing turnovers at a ridiculous rate. It started off with that win over BC. Then they go into Edmonton. Massive crowd in Edmonton. I think over 40,000 people there. It's loud there. And the Riders absolutely silenced that crowd with a massive win over the Eskimos. And from that point on, that's when we knew the season had turned for the Riders. Yep, because I remember being at the late, and I remember not watching the game at all. I remember going to my neighbor because he had uh, Wi-Fi out at the cabin. And I remember checking the score, and Saskatchewan had one fairly lopsided. And I said, what the heck? And then that was kind of the turning point, because that was the game, as I recall, where BC turned the football over an awful lot. Yep. Saskatchewan had something ridiculous, like 21 or 24 points off of turnovers, maybe more. Yeah, and then that, uh, and then they take it to the Eskimos a week later. Um, and then after that, I believe, uh, we got into the Labor Day matchup with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, which they go and take that one as well. All of a sudden, the Riders are kind of on a roll there and looking like one of the most dangerous teams in the CFL. And don't forget, Mike, the uh, the Riders gave Calgary a run for their money down the stretch, or yep. really all season long. They played two close games against Calgary earlier on in the season, uh, you know, strong the, defensive the games. Game- the game for me, Ryan, was the thirteen to seven or thirteen to nine uh, game that Calgary played with uh, Saskatchewan, where you know Calgary just made one big play in about middle of the third quarter. But other than that, both teams were really kind of struggling to get anything going offensively. That to me was the game that saw some real issues for Calgary and. That's the game that kind of showed me uh, that Saskatchewan was kind of turning the corner. When you hold that Calgary offense to very little and you force them literally to to win the game late with a big play, that to me showed that Saskatchewan had turned the corner. Then I, then I started believing. 
Yeah, so then they split, uh, you know, after that BC-Edmonton, they split games with the Bombers. Uh, great win on Labor Day, but then they get kind of blown out on in the Banjo Bowl here in Winnipeg. Then they go back to, uh, then they go and play the Ticats, and this is a game where Brandon Bridge came off the bench, I believe, and, or no, this was his first career start. They go and pull off the win over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, that, I, it blends on hurt in the Banjo Bowl, I remember that. That 15-9 to game uh, that they lost to Calgary that you mentioned. Then you get into that 18-17 win over the Ottawa Red Blacks where they're down 17-0. Christian Jones, we talked about him off the top of the show, uh, how explosive he is uh, for the Riders. He goes, in, uh, he goes and returns a punt for a touchdown. And then you have, uh, which really rallies the team on to that 18-17 win. Uh, they go and beat the Argos 27-24 then have that one-point loss to Ottawa. And then after that, that's where they come out and absolutely took it to the Calgary Stampeders, 30-7, to which I thought was one of the most dominating performances I saw from a team all season long. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a very interesting. You know, we kind of saw two seasons uh, for Saskatchewan. One of it was kind of inconsistent in the first half, and I think if you're Saskatchewan, you had the dream scenario. You had your up and down first half. You started peaking at the right time. Let's say after that Labor Day game, right? Right. And then and then you kind of put a put a pretty good licking on an Ottawa team, you know, in the Eastern semifinal. And you come you come within one reasonable third down play of going to the Grey Cup, and unfortunately, it's just not meant to be. I'm pretty convinced, Ryan, that the Riders would have won the Grey Cup had they beaten the Argos. That very well could have been the case. That would be interesting. Yeah, because to see. I, I really believe in it. And this is something that we talked about, you know, earlier on. I believe that that 13 to nine game or 15 to nine game, whatever the score wound up being, I believe that was the game where Saskatchewan got into Calgary's head. And then it continued with that 30 to seven victory. Right, and I believe and I wonder if with this trade we've seen a balance of power in the Western Division. Yeah, it could be. And not necessarily from Calgary to Saskatchewan, but if this opens up the door for Edmonton, and let's be frank, the Eskimo, you know, not to tie this in, you know, to tie this in with Saskatchewan, we got to remember, Edmonton's hosting the Great Cup this year. They are under a lot of pressure. They were so close last year to, you know, achieving, you know, had they not had that little cold spell in the Western Final there. Because remember, they jumped out in the Western Final, a 14 nothing lead over Calgary, and we're thinking, oh, great, the Stampeders are in trouble. And all of a sudden, you know, Bo Levi Mitchell and the defense find its way. Like, you're telling me that in the Western Division, that your Saskatchewan's improved so far with Calaros. Winnipeg is much of the same, so you would assume... A twelve and six to eleven and seven season. Edmonton minus that long losing streak that they had had a very good year. You know the balance of power in the Western Division. I that's going to be a bloodbath. Yeah, and it's going to be really interesting when we make those preseason predictions, Mike. Because for which team comes out of the West, I'm putting all five names in a hat and drawing a random one out of there. 
possibly, because I could see any of the five teams in the, in the West Division. I'll even throw BC in there. I would not be surprised to see BC have a strong bounce back year this year. I think it's going to be a very balanced West Division. I think it's going to be a dogfight to see you know, which I, team I'll, actually ends up in first. I'll tell you this right now. Last place in the Western Division will be no worse than 8-10. and 10. I could see it. No worse than 8 and 10. And then you have, you know, 13 and 5, 12 and 6, 11 and 7, 11 and 7, 10 and 8, something like that to decide the records. Yeah, looking at now, looking back to the riders here, uh, what went well in 2017? I think it's safe to say the defense really came together, you know. Mm-hmm. And Chris Jones can do one thing it's build a strong defense. Absolutely. We saw it in Edmonton. We've seen it now, his impact he's had on this team here in Saskatchewan. That defense forced turnovers all day long and was a nightmare for opposing team offense. And one one, one also thing, too, uh, one one other thing that also came, uh, one, one other thing that also yeah. came of it was uh, the fact that uh, Christian Jones anchored that punt return. Yeah. And and it finally gave the Riders, you know, a relevant, dangerous punt returner, which they seem to have been lacking for the last couple of years. And now they found that game-breaking, you know, that game-breaking punt returner in Christian Jones, who was set to be a free agent after this coming year, just recently signed a one-year contract. So a one-year contract extension through 2019. So, for me, one of the bright spots is Christian Jones and just being able to flip the field. Well, and I think even on the offensive side, I think the year before, we had Darian Durant as Mm -hmm. the quarterback getting blamed for a lot of the struggles for that Riders offense. Uh, The team as a whole, really, the year before struggled for the most part. And I thought on offense as well, we saw them, you know, emerge as, such a dynamic team, really at wide receiver. They have one of the best wide receiver groups in the CFL in what they called the presidents, you know, your Duran Carter, uh, your Naaman Roosevelt, your Bakari Grant. Those were kind of the big three. Throw in Caleb Hawley, uh, Chad Owens at the end of the season. Uh, you know, you could go, the list goes on. The Riders had some excellent weapons there on offense in 2017. And really, I mean, it's really, to me, hard to look at too many negatives that came out of this year, given where they were the year before. Yeah, and to me, it had a lot to do with the help of the offensive line this year in Saskatchewan over last year. For sure. Uh, last year, they had so many changes on that offensive line. This year, you know, they had Labatt healthy. They had Josiah... Uh, Help me out here. There's that young kid on the defensive line. It's not or offensive line, so it's not St. John. Maybe uh, there's a, there's another guy. Uh, Thaddeus Coleman. There uh, was their offensive lineman of the year. Right. They have, they have more cohesion on that offensive line this year than they had last year, and it's no it's no uh, accident that they had much more success offensively. Right. Uh, if you had to look at a negative, you know, what didn't go so well in 2017 for the Riders, I think it's the quarterback carousel. 
I think maybe a quarterback management, perhaps, although, you know, we did get to see the emergence of Brandon Bridge. And in the first half of the season, we saw Kevin Gwen as, you know, having playing some of the best football of his career. You know, just the, the ongoing carousel of, okay, oh, look, here comes Bridge, comes out and wins the game. Okay, back to Gwen. And Gwen struggles and back to Bridge and then back to Gwen. You know, as an ongoing thing, I'd like to see a little more consistency from the Riders. I've been for... this year, and I'm not sure actually we're going to get that because, like I said, you have Coleros uh, and you have Bridge. These are both two high quality quarterbacks. And what's to say Chris Jones isn't going to do the same thing again, where he goes out and uh, you know has a bit of a short leash on his starter? I, I, I'm going to go out on a hunch and say the Riders' opening night starter will be Brandon Bridge. Interesting. Yeah, I. Just, I mean, just because... Just because Brandon, sorry, Brandon, <coughs> Brandon Bridge comes into this and he says, okay, you know what, Zach Kalaros comes in here, but he doesn't know the offense. He doesn't know the system. He doesn't know these receivers. I know this offense. I know this system. I know these receivers. I know these coaches. Advantage Brandon Bridge. And I, and I think it wouldn't surprise me if this was done from a level of competition. You know, but to Brandon Bird, let's be fair, you earn a starting job in the CFL, you're better off earning a starting job in the CFL, particularly at quarterback, by winning a competition. Being handed the starting job like on a platter, which is unfortunately what Winnipeg is going to do, if, if there's competition, you earn your spots, and you're in your sort of attention to detail right from the get-go because you've had to earn your spot. It wasn't given to you. Now, maybe this is me, probably this is me making uh, something out of nothing here, but Mm -hmm. say Zach Caleros is the starter next year for the majority Mm -hmm. of the season for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. We mentioned Brandon Bridge, only a one-year contract extension for 2018. Does he come back after the season? Because this is a guy that, to me, seems like he's being strung along time and time again. You know, he comes to Saskatchewan. You think, oh, maybe he's going to get his shot here. Well, mm-hmm. that, well, nope, Kevin Glenn, right? And Kev, despite the great play, they keep going back to Glenn, keep giving him the starts over and over again. Let's, let's not kid ourselves. The second half of the season where they really turned things around, Bridge was the man that led a lot of that uh, oh. on the offensive side of things. But then coming into the playoffs, does he get to start in the playoffs? No. So he comes back, signs his contract on the 20th of December uh, for next year. Do you think when he signed this contract, he was assuming he was the number one guy? Or did he always know that someone was going to come in like this? I think they made the expectation clear to Brandon Bridge. But hey, you're a starter. But hey, you're going to have to earn it, right? The guy that I feel really bad for is Kevin Glenn. He seems to be this clear-cut starter everywhere he goes. And then somebody always seems to come in. And I'm thinking of Ottawa in particular. Remember, he was property of the Red Blacks until they brought in you know, Trevor Harris and both Henry Burris. Right. He was the pit in the expansion draft. So I, I think as far as the quarterback fraternity goes, you expect your contract, but you also expect competition now that being said 
you know, going back to what Brandon Bridge, you know, is he going to have, you know, sour feelings over this a year from now? I, I don't think that's an issue until we know exactly what happens, you know, with Zach Calero. Zach Calero might still do what he did last year, this year, and Brandon Bridge might be the starter because of performance base. So I think to make premature judgments on whether Brandon Bridge is going to be, you know, upset that Zach Kalaros is here. For me, if I'm Brandon Bridge and I don't know Brandon Bridge as a person, but for me, it would say, hey, you know what? They don't think I'm good enough. They think that I could use some competition. I'm going to show them that I am the best quarterback here and I am going to earn that spot, and it is going to motivate me to become a better, you know, to become better in the offseason so that I can get what I want, which is that starting quarterback job. And I believe that, you know, Zach Kalaros has to have a lot of a kind of a rebuilding, if you will, of his confidence. I, I put Zach Kalaros and Drew Willie in a lot of the same boat, right? Drew Willie had all this hype. Then he had all these injuries in Winnipeg. Zach Kalaros has not been the same since he's been injured. Zach Kalaros being the number one and getting back to normal to be a starter in week one here in 2018 is far from a given. As is Brandon Bridge being the starter uh, in week one, 2018. So there's a lot to be there's a lot to be sorted out. And I believe if I'm Brandon Bridge, I'm motivated that they don't think that I'm going to be the clear-cut number one, that they want me to push to be the number one, and I'm going to show them that I am the best of the four or five quarterbacks that are here, and it's going to be my job, and I'm going to give them no reason to not give me the job. Yeah, I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a great way to sum up that argument there. Uh, to sum up 2017, kind of an up and down season for mm-hmm. the Riders. Uh, you know, they started, uh, lower down, but then they kind of built their way up and really, I mean, they were one defensive play away from making they were a the third down, down away. Pardon me. They were a third down, not down away. Toronto went down to their last play on third down. Yeah. And the defender got turned around the, the, the turned around defender was the open receiver for the first down. Right. Yeah, yeah. One 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 defensive play away from being the first crossover team in CFL history to yeah. go on to the Grey Cup. So I, I, I think it was a great year for the Riders, and I'm re- actually really excited to see what this team does in 2018 because I, I, I think Chris Jones is a general manager and as a coach, he's building something special in Saskatchewan. Yeah. And I'm interested to see what route it takes this year because we saw such a jump from the year before yep. to 2017 for this team. What's yep. the next step for 2018? Here's the, here's the other thing. This acquisition of Zach Kalaros, Chris Jones is putting his net on the line here. Because whatever expectations they had for the writers, which were higher than that of what they had this year, before Talaros came in, just got way exponentially higher. I think that, I think the expectations should be higher because this is a team that's on a rise. It had the rebuild, and now they're to the point, you know, where they keep keep adding those pieces. 
they have a lot of free agents this year that uh, they've locked some of them up, like we mentioned, but there are some others that they will need to lock up here yet. Um, just to kind of finish up uh, the talk from last season's off, kind of the moves made last season's off season, yep. uh, before we talk about what needs to be made this off season, who would you say was the best, had the best either was the best addition for the Riders in 2017 or had the best coming out party? For the Riders? Yes. Oh boy. I think it's Bridge. I don't think we expected to see him after, you know, the couple games he got in there in Montreal. I don't think we expected him to come out and play as well as he did uh, for the team this year and to play as much as he did. Yeah, I would roll... Who are the coming out party? I, I, there's, there's a lot of players, uh, Ryan, but Bridge had it. Janey had it. Yes, yes, Ed Ganey was another one. Uh, really strong year. Really had a case for Defensive Player of the Year, I think. You know, even the running backs had it. You know, they they had, you know, five or six running backs. You never know who's going to be a running back on the given week. And, Mike, we I, haven't even talked about possibly the biggest addition of the entire season for the Riders, which is Mr. Everything, the guy who played all three sides of the ball, Deron Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, really added such great things to that offense, was able to fill in on defense and played respectably well. Uh, Mad respect to him for how he played when he filled in on defense and returned kicks as well. I mean, he did everything. The play of the year for the Riders was the Duran Carter pitch set. I think that's the end of it. Uh, Duran Carter's pitch sets was the play of the year and the call by Rod Peterson. (laughs) Telling Bo Levi Mitchell to shut his mouth. I, I found that to be hilarious. Uh, that was the play of the year to Duran Carter pitch sits. Yeah, yeah. One one for the record books, one for the memories. And I, and I think if the writers would have gone to the Dre Cup, I think it would have been a completely different play of the year. And it would have been the Christian Jones punt return in the Eastern Final, but... Uh, that's not my play of the year because they didn't make it to the Grey Cup. So. Christian Jones as well, like you mentioned, uh, I would say before, uh, definitely one of the greatest additions and coming out parties for the Riders this year. Yeah, and he wasn't even there for the whole season. Um, getting into, uh, was there anyone that kind of disappointed you this year, Mike, that you were expecting to see more from and we didn't quite see what you expected? Uh, for me, it was Naaman Roosevelt, mainly because he couldn't stay healthy. Oh, I mean, he was over 1,000 yards receiving, Mike. Oh, I know, but I just wanted to see, you know, the full 18 game Naaman Roosevelt. You know, Keenan LaFrance would be a disappointment for yes, me, but yes. again, he couldn't stay healthy, right? For the, for the money that he signed, and, you know, I'm, I'm good friends with a couple people that know Keenan LaFrance, so I'm going to be careful with, you know, what I say here because. You know, these are people that listen to the podcast as well. Um, but I believe uh, Tina LaFrance will be a starting running back in the Canadian Football League. He was just deteriorated by injuries early in the season, and they weren't really sure what they were going to expect from you know, Tina LaFrance, you know, after his injury. Well, well, and let's let's say this. I, I, I don't think you are not, you or I are disappointed in his level of play at all. No. 
Uh, no, no, no. It's the fact that you know, the Riders go and sign him to this huge contract, specifically after you know his performance the year before it's... for Ottawa in that Eastern Final right. and kind of in that Grey Cup. But um, the Riders go and spend a lot of that. money on this guy. But then he really doesn't get involved in that offense, a large part of it due to injury. Also, they bring in Cameron Marshall, who kind of took over the role there. And then they bring in Trent Richardson. You know, it was kind of an endless cycle. You know, for me, for him, his down year wasn't a byproduct of what he did. I think it was more circumstantial. Right. And and it was so unfortunate to see. And I, I think he didn't have a monster bounce back here this year. Uh, if we want to, you know, continue on the disappointment category. And again, this is, you know, when we talk about this, this is not a knock against the talent of any of these guys. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I certainly couldn't go out and do what they did. Um, Nick Dembski, another uh, Winnipeg boy uh, in Saskatchewan. If you remember those first couple of weeks, he took, the, like, he had strong performances in those couple of weeks. And we thought, I thought we might be talking about him as the coming out receiver of the year. Uh, he was really, I think he was their number one receiver in the first couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. I know he was injured for a lot of the season, but then, he, you know, it just kind of disappeared into the background in Saskatchewan for a little while there. I, I think uh, that was another one that was kind of based on the way the season started um, to see that injury hit him and then not be quite as involved the rest of the way. You know, it's so unfortunate, right? It's kind of like... And this is why I believe some sport, some sports athletes, particularly hockey players, are so scared to diverge any kind of injury, and they're so scared to tell the trainers exactly how they feel, because they're scared if they miss any time, they're going to be replaced inside lineup, and it's going to be difficult for them to get back to the role that they presently have because, you know, the next man behind them may play so well. And, you know, I've talked to athletes that are scared to divulge injuries to their trainer at any kind of level just on the fact that they're scared to be replaced by somebody else in a next man up mentality. That That's a very interesting point, and I think that's definitely something especially in a league where the, like the CFL where you know rosters are constantly changing you know your window of opportunity uh, you're on the sidelines for nine you know uh, six weeks say on the injured list and then very well you could come on you know you could your, your starting role could be gone yeah um, and especially in you know small leads you know 11 10 nine. Nine team leads where, you know, people know each other and, you know, people have really good um, relationships, supposedly, where one injury kind of changes things, right? Yeah, and, and, and I'll throw into the kind of disappointing didn't work out as we kind of expected it to category, Chad Owens edition in Saskatchewan. Because he didn't get into the lineup, I think, until the last couple of weeks of the season there, Mike. And while yep. he had a great impact when he got into the lineup, you know, all season long it was, will we finally see Chad Owens? No, we don't. Will we finally see him now? No, we don't. And it was kind of strung along, uh, performed well when he was in the lineup, but it took forever to get him into it. How much of that was 
he was healthy for maybe 10 to 11 weeks, but they couldn't make the ratio work. Oh, I think it was maybe that. And also maybe, you know, it wasn't a disappointment, uh, you know, in terms of talking about him not getting into the lineup because a large part of that was due to the high level of play from everyone else in the lineup. You know, and and it's kind of like a lineup, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Exactly. So it's so... You would not believe the number of athletes that I've taught you that are scared to divulge injuries because of that situation. Yeah. Um, getting into now the current offseason, free agency a month or so away, what are the riders, what are the keys this offseason to get them ready for competing for the Grey Cup in 2018? I don't think it, well, we're going to go to see them sign the massive influx of free agency. I think... For me, it's just a matter of the riders needing to go fill holes. Uh, you know, this is where they can kind of, they don't need to use free agency to pot major holes in their roster. They can just patch depth. So I don't think we're going to see them go after that many big names and rather just patch up the depth. Yeah, and uh, I think just looking at it, you know, Really, I don't know if there's a position on the field that I can go out and say this is where the riders were really lacking this year. Uh, this is a position that they absolutely need to improve. I think they have a lot of their own free agents that I think we're, yep. we're going to see come back in Saskatchewan and should see back with the riders. Because, you know, I think this is a team, again, like kind of first solid year after the rebuild. Mm-hmm. Still a pretty young team in a lot of ways. I, I think you just keep the same unit together and watch them progress this year is kind of the play that the riders need to go with. Again, much like if, we talked about with the Bombers, tinker a little here and there. But I don't know if there's one position on the field for the riders that I can say this is where they're really lacking and this is what they need to go out and fix. Not a position they're lacking necessarily, but I think you could throw a lot of Canadian teams, uh, Canadian football league teams into this. They always want to improve their Canadian depth. And I think, I think that's for all nine teams, not just Saskatchewan. Yeah, that's that's very well put. If I had to choose one position, maybe it's the defensive line. You know, there were a couple games there where they were giving up a lot of yards to the run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also think that might just have been more part of the scheme, because if you remember correctly, a lot of times they were only rushing three defensive linemen, right? So right. I, I don't know if that's personnel or if that's scheme changes. Uh, like I said, I don't think there's much that needs to change for the riders for 20, 2018. That's fair. Um, looking at their own list of free agents here, uh, we got a lot of guys on the defense uh, that... Uh, you know, they've brought a couple guys back, but we got a lot of defensive free agents. You got Otha Foster, uh, AC Leonard, Jeff Knox Jr. Um, Zach Minter was released by the uh, Riders back in the beginning of December, uh, so he won't be back next year. S.A. Mirabre, uh, I apologize if I pronounced that wrong, on the defensive line, as well as uh, Eddie Steele. Then you got Casey Rogers at defensive back and Cam- Cameron Onco at linebacker as well. So a lot of free agents here on defense. Uh, Looking offensively, uh, probably most notable is Deron Carter. Uh, Do you think we see him back next year in Saskatchewan, Mike? 
I've been teetered to the NFL. If it doesn't work, he comes back to Saskatchewan. But my hunch is maybe NFL. Yeah, I, I, I could see him trying to take another shot at that. He is way too talented to not let the NFL uh, at least give one more chance. If I could be selfish for a brief moment, I would love to see him back in the CFL and not go to the NFL because, you know, Deron Carter is fun. He's fun to watch. He, he, he has a passion for football. You can definitely see it out on the field. And it, it, it's entertainment. Uh, if I read correctly, I think he was, uh, he was the CFL Newsmaker of the Year or the Riders Newsmaker of the Year or something like that. Um, very entertaining guy. I love seeing him out on the field. Yeah, and, and I, I think the CFL needs more players like him. At wide receiver, so I mentioned you have Deron Carter. You also have Nick Dembski as a free agent, Chris Getzlav, Devin Bailey, uh, also free agents. Um, looking at the offensive line, you've got Bruce Campbell, Dan Clark, and I believe those are the only two offensive linemen uh, that they have at free agent as well. As we mentioned, Brandon Bridge gets a contract extension. You've got a couple running backs in Spencer Moore and Greg Morris. Uh, and then kicker, backup kicker Quinn Van Gilswick, uh, round out to the free agent list for the Riders. If I'm not missing anyone here, of all these people we just talked about, Mike, is who would you say if who's the number one guy the Riders need to bring back? If you could only choose one guy, and I'll let you choose one on offense and one on defense, if you'd like, uh, that the Riders need to bring back. Ah, uh, Duran Carter offense. And I, I forget some of their defensive guys. Yeah, offensively, I, I would say the same thing. Deron Carter, especially, you know, the jack-of-all-trades that he was this season. Um, maybe Nick Dembski, because Canadian talent in the start of the year he did have last year. Uh, I would be interested to see what he uh, what he does this year. Um, defensively, I'm probably looking at a guy like Jeff Knox Jr., or Willie Jefferson. These were two guys that had tremendous impacts defensively for them. Uh, they have a lot of big names on defense, like Otha Foster would be another one that I mentioned there. Um, can, I just, I, can I just uh, report some breaking news here? Sure. Right now, as we're recording this, Winnipeg Free Press is reporting that the Montreal Alouettes have offered the offensive coordinator position to Winnipeg Blue Bombers quarterback position, quarterbacks coach Buck Pierce. Buck Pierce has subsequently turned down the offer from the Montreal Alouettes will remain with Winnipeg. Interesting. Two minutes ago, the Montreal Alouettes sent out a press release saying that they've hired their coordinators for the season. Kahari Jones, offensive coordinator. Khalil Carter, defensive coordinator. Mitty Donovan will be special teams coordinator. And Rich Stubler as a special advisor to the defensive coordinator. Wow. Breaking news mid-podcast recording. Okay, well, let's talk about it. Um, what do you make of this? 
Uh, I don't know who Khalil Carter is, to be honest with you, but uh, the offensive coordinator looks pretty good in Kyrie Jones. Carter was has been the defensive backs coach with the Calgary Stampeders since 2015. Okay, that 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 helps. Um, yeah, he he spent time in the NFL, CFL, Arena League, and NFL Europe. So, former player, uh, defensive backs coach for the Calgary Stampeders. That. I, I'm not surprised to see Kahari Jones as offensive coordinator. The big one for me here that I really like, Rich Stubler. Yep. I really like that uh, addition. Uh, interesting that he's an advisor, that he's not taking on the full defensive coordinator role. You know, this is a guy that had built uh, strong defenses. I believe it was Calgary and Toronto, right? Yep. Uh, great addition there. Uh, interested to see what they what what this coaching staff that Mike Sherman uh, and Cavis Reed, however much he was involved in it, have put together. I'm interested to see what this coaching staff is going to do with this team going forward. I'll say this. You don't hire a coach in most cases without suggesting some names to said general manager and said ownership about some possible people that you have in mind. Right. For me, this is about as A-plus of the coaching staff that you could have gotten given the time frame in which we currently sit. I would agree with you. I think it's a pretty good coaching staff. Now it remains to be seen what they're going to do with this team. So just to recap, Mike Sherman, head coach, Tahari Jones, offensive coordinator, Khalil Carter, who's maybe a defense coordinator, you know, up and coming, for sure. It's an upgrade for from his current position or where he was with Calgary. Mickey Donovan, special teams coordinator. And Rich Dubler, special advisor advising Khalil Carter. Like, I don't know if you could have gotten a better coaching staff on this short of notice, given the fact that we're approximately five or so weeks away from free agency and given the circumstances of time. What do you make of uh, Buck Pierce? The first piece you mentioned there, Buck Pierce being offered the offensive coordinator job and declining it, and then they uh, obviously they go on to Kahari Jones. What do you make of that? Well, um... I believe that it's much like Paul Apolis. He sees what they're building in Winnipeg, and he wants to be a part of it. And I think for Bot Pierce, it's a situation of he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to. Uh, he doesn't want to go into something that he thinks he doesn't know too much about. And I think he wants to still learn under Paul Apolis and. Whether he's not ready or whether he wasn't interested is another scenario. But and not to mention, if I'm not mistaken, Winnipeg is his home. He lives here all year round. Yep. Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, and it's one of those things that, unless it's really, really good, do I really want to leave what I have, which is really, really good? You know exactly. Um, so breaking news, middle of the podcast, Alouette's announcing their coaching staff. That uh, 
Nice to find, good on you for looking at this news, Mike, because I feel like oftentimes we record and then we look and, uh, oh, we missed some stuff that came out in the middle of us recording. So good on you. Thanks for this bringing us up. This is what happens when you scroll Twitter the entire show. <laughs> good to know you're focusing, Mike. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that goes back to what I said earlier in the show, I think very early on. Mike Sherman needs to surround himself with good people. And, and I think he did that. Right. Uh, going back to kind of talking about the riders, uh, I, I think, you know, we mentioned there's those couple pieces they needed to bring back on offense. I, I brought up the guys on defense, like the Jeff Knox Jr., the Willie Jefferson. Those are kind of the two big ones that stand out to me because they were very involved on that rider's defense. Um not like I said before, there's not much too much else to add in terms of, you know, which guys do they need to absolutely go out and get in free agency? Because um, I don't really know what the weak point is for the riders right now. Canadian depth, that's what I keep hearing in Regina. And I think that should be said about every other team. So is there any guy, uh, is there anyone out there now looking at the... Uh, if you look at the kind of the free agent list that uh, kind of fits that mold of Canadian depth that you think is a must add for the riders or. No, I actually think Ryan, but they need to add Canadian depth via the draft. Oh, and yeah, go home. that's uh yeah. The draft is often overlooked. I think, right. We talk about free agents. We talk about the guys here, but that's an excellent point. Keeping in mind, obviously that they don't have their second round pick in the draft this year. Um, because it was given to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. And they have the sixth overall pick this year. Where did that tenth overall pick come from? Was that in the... Uh... That, was, that was part of the Durant trade. Right, okay. So it's technically from Montreal then. Right. Yeah, I think the draft is an excellent point. Is there any uh, is there any spot in the field you'd focus on for the riders in the draft, or is it a case of you take the best guy available? I think that's the beauty of it, right? The Bombers the last couple of years that hold during the rebuild. Now I think both the riders and the Bombers can do the best available, regardless of position. Yeah. And so- I... I believe if you're Montreal and if you're Tavis Reed, you're going for whatever whatever you can get because you need whatever you can get. The Bombers and the Riders have this luxury of being a little bit selective, but I wouldn't be too quick to deter from best available. Yeah, and you know, just to kind of sum things up that I've been talking about, I don't see you know holes that they need to go and plug. I don't really know if there's an area for the riders to focus on. They're in a position where there's a don't. I'm not going out and saying the riders are this legendary team, built team right now that is going to be unstoppable. I think they have good players at every position. I think, you know, in any league, there's always, you can probably always go out and improve. There's just no glaring holes that they need to go and fix in order for them to be successful in 2018. I think it's just general improvement with the unit they have and any additions they bring in is all we need to see from them to make them, you know, a contender, given that they were pretty close this year. 
there isn't a case where, you know, oh, they absolutely need to make changes at this position or they're not going to be able to contend. Do you want some more breaking news? Sure, keep it coming. The Minnesota Vikings have signed Edmonton Estimo wide receiver Brandon Zilstra. All right. To a futures reserve contract. Uh, that one wasn't too, uh, too unexpected. I think we all saw Brandon Zilstra coming going off to the NFL this year. Uh, a lot of talks that he would go to the Vikings. Um, interested to see if he can stick there, right? Sometimes you see these guys in the CFL go out down there, uh, and there's a lot of hype, but it doesn't work out, kind of like it did with Darrell Walker the year before. Uh, but if he can stick, you know, I think Zilstra has all the skill sets to be able to succeed at the NFL level. Yeah, and I think he has a good of uh, opportunity as any. Yeah, me too. Anything yeah, if else? I, can, no, I, have not, I have nothing else rider-related. The only thing I will say, go Falcons, go Vikings in the NFL playoffs starting this weekend. Fair enough, giving your... Uh, those are your two teams, Mike, or? No, I, I, the Falcons are my actual team. The Vikings are, because of their close proximity to Winnipeg, and they're the first legit team to actually be able to maybe play in the Super Bowl that they're hosting. Now, Minnesota's like an eight-hour drive away from Winnipeg. It's in the States, it's not like it's next door in Manitoba. Is that really a factor for you that, you know, a team that's eight hours drive away from here, that kind of the home factor? No, but they are approximately <laughs> close to Winnipeg. You know what I mean? Very and there's a lot of Viking fans here in the capital region, so. That's fair. That's very fair. Um, and, and just the ability to play in a home Super Bowl would be enticing for me. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um NFL playoffs are here now, correct? That starts uh, this weekend? Yeah, Saturday, Sunday. All right, interesting to look at that. Uh, I'm sure we'll see in terms of the CFL side a lot of, you know, NFL tryouts. It seems to be more and more in yep. recent years, CFL players going down south. Um, so mm-hmm. that rem- will remain to see what happens on that front. Uh, like you just mentioned, breaking news, Brandon Zilstra to the Minnesota Vikings. Yep. Anything else you got to add, or uh, should we call it a day, Mike? Well, I'm doing one more clip scan of Twitter <laughs> just to make sure. Uh, but I don't see anything uh, jumping off the page. This needs to now become tradition. You need to keep doing this all the time now so we don't miss anything. Um, lots of news to come uh, in the CFL. Again, lots to come here on the podcast. Uh, kicking off 2018 with uh, right now early here. Uh, we'll be back again next week uh, talking another team as we continue our off-season outlook series, as we will do all the way leading up to free agency in February. Uh, and then, you know, free agent preview, free agent recap. Uh, we got the CFL week here in Winnipeg in March, which, by the way, if you're considering coming to Winnipeg for CFL week and you're not sure, this is kind of, you know, peer pressure, you should come. Uh, we'd love to meet anyone who is coming here to Winnipeg uh, for CFL week. Um, it's going to be a fun off season, Mike. Lots to come. going to be a fun off season, and uh, 
boy, oh boy, the Cinderella story of the Las Vegas Golden Knights is going to be fun to watch in the next couple of weeks, too. Absolutely. Uh, lots going on in the sports world these days. And the first place Jets, so. First place in the Division Winnipeg Jets, my Tampa Bay Lightning, first place in the entire NHL. Uh, good year on the hockey front. Here's hoping we get a good year, another good year on the CFL front, Mike. We should, we should. And, you know, it's nice to be able to talk about other sports uh, once in a while, especially in the off season. For sure. That wraps it up once again. Happy New Year to everyone. Thank you for sticking with us throughout 2017. Um, oh, by the way, Mike, I was looking at the statistics yesterday, yep. and we don't have a lot of statistics available in terms of listeners to the podcast, but there is one that very much interests me. Okay. We had a couple of listens from all the way from Germany this week. Really? I, unless my app is telling, unless the SoundCloud app is giving me false data, that is true. If you are listening to us all the way from Germany or anywhere else, feel free to let us know. Reach out to us. We want to know where you're listening from. Uh, we'd love to hear where all of our fans are at, um, whether it's in Canada, United States, or all the way to Europe or elsewhere in the world. We'd love to hear. That does it. This has been the Canadian Football Countdown. First edition of 2018. We'll be back again next week for more off-season outlook. For Michael Garrell, I'm Ryan Koop saying thank you for listening. Have a good week, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Bye.